0: So you all know what a nativity scene is right it's the little thing that people put up at christmas time it's a little little miniatures of people at the at the manger right baby jesus and mary and joseph are there and some other characters i'm curious kids those of you guys who are here what are some of your favorite characters that are part of the nativity scene or your the favorite figures what do you guys like the most let's shout it out let's hear wise man i heard that that's a good one what else baby Jesus, always classic. Anybody else? Cow. What's that? Cows. Cows. Okay, but I asked for kids, so I'm looking for, just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> what other? G- give me one more, kids. What, one more. Donkey. I love that, and I love the shepherds. That's a good one, especially appropriate for today. So camel, absolutely. I think my favorite would have to be the animals because I always just love imagining what they're thinking as this random group of assorted people are all like gathering in their house, this, uh, you know, wherever the animals live. They're all, all these humans are all just staring into this like manger and the cows are like, what is this? Like, what is going on right now? Uh, also, why is there a baby where I need to eat? Where's my food? I'm, I'm hungry. I'm ready for this. And is anyone going to talk about this naked, like, baby with the wings that's just up in the rafters? Because this is creeping me out. That's what I imagine, you know, the animals thinking. Uh, but there is something that's actually pretty cool for me about nativity scenes. When you, when you look at a nativity scene, one of the things that it does, if you really think about it, is it shows you just how humble and how ordinary The birth of jesus really was think about it the location of his birth not exactly luxury right this is not a very nice place to be born Uh, the people who are involved they're not celebrities they're not big deals honestly if it wasn't for the birth of jesus we probably wouldn't know about any of them the location not so great probably didn't even smell very good if any of you have been in a barn you probably know what that smells like that's what the birth of jesus smelled like right So when we think when we step back we actually think about this whole Christmas story it's a reminder to us that God's incarnation and that's just a big fancy word for God becoming a human becoming one of us in baby Jesus that God's incarnation was revealed to humanity in one of the most unexpected and ordinary of ways. And that's what we've been talking about all this month in this series, Revealed. We're talking about all of the different characters and how God revealed himself to them, even though they were probably the last people that you would expect. Well, today we're going to look at another one of those stories, and it's the stories of the shepherds. The shepherds who were humble nobodies, really, who became the very first messengers of the good news that this king, this new king, had been born. So we're going to find the story in Luke chapter 2. I'd love for you guys to turn there with me. If you want to use one of the house Bibles, it's going to be page 851, Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start in verse 8. At the very beginning of Luke 2, uh, the story begins that it G- uh, talks about Jesus actually uh, being born. And then it says this in verse 8 That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, I'm going to stop right there, just at that one verse, because before we go on any farther, we've got to talk about these shepherds got to talk about who they are because I think if you're like me you probably have these mental images of what these shepherds were like and if you're like me they're probably wrong or at least the way that I used to think about it they probably weren't particularly accurate Um, so let me tell you a little bit about shepherds back in the ancient world first of all it was not a very glamorous profession Okay, this was not something that, that people really wanted to do. In fact, it was actually pre, pre, considered a pretty low-class thing. It was, not a, it was not prestigious to be a shepherd. For example, if you were a parent and you had a bunch of kids and you had some sheep to take care of, guess who watched the sheep? the last born the least prestigious of your children would be the one that, by the way this is not how it is now if you're a last born kid you rock but back then they didn't think the last born kids were all that that exciting and so they were the ones who had to watch the sheep that was what happened with King David if you remember that story so it was a it was not a very prestigious thing and there's some pretty obvious reasons for that uh, for one thing it's a pretty uncomfortable job think about it uncomfortable you're you're outside all the time with a bunch of smelly animals they may be great animals but they're not it's not a really glamorous thing i used to have this mental image in my mind of the shepherds and i would always think of them as like these white-robed shepherds on the top of a big grassy hillside peaceful probably alpine like looking meadow with all the all the sheep just peacefully there That's not exactly what Bethlehem looks like. I actually had the chance several, uh, first of all, white robes, terrible idea. If you're trying to be a shepherd, okay, you're going to get those white robes to be very brown very quickly uh, with all the dust and the sheep droppings and everything. But I got a chance to live in, in Bethlehem for about a month, the, the Bethlehem, uh, back in, uh, you know, several years ago. And what I realized is that my image of all these grassy rolling hills was completely wrong. Bethlehem is, is very steep and rocky, and it's kind of dusty and dry. And there's grass, but the grass is like peeking up between... The Uh, you know, tufts of grass between boulders. and, And so this is not a particularly great place to have a huge flock of sheep. If you wanted to feed a bunch of sheep in such dry, dusty conditions, they would have to, you'd have to be on the move a lot right because you'd you'd set up and you'd set up at one point during the day and your sheep would eat all the grass that was there and the next day you'd have to pick up and move on to another place all while other shepherds and their flocks are trying to do the same thing so if you were a shepherd back then you'd be on the move a lot walking hiking up these up and down these big hills trying to make sure all your sheep are safe and secure it's a pretty hard job and it's pretty uncomfortable not to mention the fact that you'd have to sleep outdoors I know some of us love camping, but this, they didn't have down jackets back then. And often the temperatures got down into the, like the low 40s. It was pretty normal. So that's not like frozen, but it's enough to be like pretty uncomfortable. You know what it's like when you're really, really chilly. That was how they had to do that, all while trying to make sure that nobody comes to steal these sheep or no wolves come to attack them. So try to imagine just for a moment what it would have been like to live in that condition, to have that be your job. That's pretty crazy, right? That's not very comfortable. But shepherds didn't just face physical challenges, okay? It was way more than just the the discomfort and the, the physical stuff. They also faced financial challenges, First of all any sheep that they lost they would have that would have cut right into their already razor thin financial margins back then they didn't have you know bank accounts and credit cards sheep uh, that was your wealth like that was essentially how you that was your bank account was the sheep that you had so if a wolf comes and eats one of your sheep or someone comes in and steals your sheep your money is gone your wealth is gone so that was part of it but more than that they had to pay a lot of taxes back then. I know we think we pay a lot of taxes, but what we have to pay is nothing compared to what people had to pay in the ancient world. For example, Ju- Jewish uh, people had to pay uh, part, part of what they earned to the temple as a part of kind of the, the temple religious system. That was just a normal part of living in Israel. But on top of that, this was a time when the Isra- Israel was, uh, was occupied by Rome rome sent in all their legionaries all their soldiers to to occupy the territory and everybody in israel had to pay exorbitant taxes to pay for this big roman empire and you know what comes with taxes tax collectors and at the time tax collectors they had it was just a socially accepted thing that they would always take a little bit off the top and charge you a little bit more than what the roman empire actually demanded So you've got temple taxes you've got roman taxes and you've got these greedy tax collectors who are trying to squeeze you for just a few more drachmas or whatever they're trying to get a little bit more money out of you all the time this made it really really hard to stay self-sufficient to stay afloat financially this is a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer In fact, some scholars say that it's actually likely that shepherds, because it was such a low-class profession, shepherds, these particular shepherds, in fact, may have actually been so poor, they were actually working for somebody else, that these weren't even their sheep at all. They were working as like laborers for some other wealthy landowner's sheep. They were protecting someone else's sheep for meager pay. It's even possible that they could have been debt slaves in other words they were working watching these sheep so that they could pay off a debt to some wealthy person so that they could provide for their families all right are you getting the picture here put all of that together put all that together and just try to imagine this scene this group of shepherds far from being these happy healthy white-robed shepherds on a grassy hill this is a group of tired cold dirty downtrodden people these, these men are up late at night watching someone else's sheep possibly and hoping that they don't get attacked by wolves that's their life that's what these shepherds are experiencing all of this in a world that values wealth and success and status right if you don't have those things in the ancient world then who are you you're nobody these shepherds were nobodies They're at the bottom of their social ladder. In the eyes of the ancient world, they did not matter at all. These guys didn't matter. Their day-to-day life was a struggle and nobody cared. And yet, as we're about to read, something pretty crazy is about to happen to these guys. So let's read what happens. In verse 9, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. All right, we'll stop right here. We got to talk about what just happened because... Thanks to Charlie Brown, we are very familiar with this passage. We hear it all the time. It's really easy to slip right past just how profound what we are reading actually is. So let me point out a few things for you. Uh, look at verse 9, for example. It says, The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Now, in the Bible, glory is kind of a, a thing that's a little bit foreign to us. It's the idea of, of this Shiny heaviness, kind of. It's like when God's presence is there, it's blinding, it's heavy, it's powerful. That's what glory is. And this passage is saying that God's glory is shining all over this hillside. In the old testament when you saw god's glory it was always a pretty uh, it was a pretty heavy thing it was god's glory that led the israelites out of egypt in the in the wilderness the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that was that was god uh, leading them with his glory out of egypt and then once they built the tabernacle and eventually the temple god's glory would come and actually show up in the holy place of the temple and that was a way that Israel knew God is with us. He is traveling with us. So once a year, once, once the temple was built, once a year the high priest would go into the very center of the temple, the holiest place in the temple, and he would encounter God's glory. But that's where God's glory remained, in the temple. It was a, it was a limited thing for a very, very, very select few number of people. But what's happening here? All of a sudden, something pretty crazy is happening. Now, rather than being confined to the temple, God's glory, it's suddenly radiating out on some random hillside. And not to priests, but to a bunch of bedraggled shepherds. In other words, all of a sudden, God's glory, which is his presence, it's spreading into this world, right? It's spreading into this world in some pretty unexpected ways. Well, Okay, not entirely unexpected. You see, Israel's prophets over the centuries, they were speaking a lot about this moment. They had had prophesied about this moment when, when God's glory and his presence would come again to dwell with his people. And these prophecies are actually meant to be ringing in our ears as we read this passage or pretty much all of the birth of jesus story in luke but specifically in luke 2 there are all of these little hints that luke is dropping for us that are all pointing back to these ancient prophecies for example uh, the angel says i bring you good news The word literally is is what we get the word gospel from. This is is the same word. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news. That little known fact is actually a reference to a prophecy of Isaiah where he first talks about the good news of God coming back to the people. Uh, It also says, I bring great joy to all people. All people. That is a major theme in the Old Testament prophets. The idea that eventually God's blessing will reach the entire earth. All people. The angel talks about the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Those are all really prophetic things. Uh, He mentions the city of David. That's important. A baby. The armies of heaven show up. And he mentions peace on earth. Peace on earth. Not to mention the fact that all of this is happening, as I said, with the bright glory of God shining to people who are in the middle of the great darkness of of an evening. And all of these shepherds, by the way, under this heavy burden, this burden of of poverty, possibly debt slavery. So all of those hints are there in that story. And if we know where to look, we realize that they are meant to make us think about these Old Testament prophecies. For example, let me read you just one of them and see if any of this rings a bell with what we're reading here in Luke 2. It's from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, who? David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Again, this is just one prophecy that that I could point to dozens of others. The point here is that the people of Israel, at the time of these shepherds existing, the, the people of Israel have been suffering under a kind of exile for many, many generations. Yes, it's a, it's a spiritual exile. They're waiting for, for God to return. But it's also an economic one and a political one. Being under the thumb of Rome, it, it was debilitating in every way. They were longing for, for the good news, right? They were waiting for the gospel, the good news that their true king, the Messiah, would finally come and usher in this eternal kingdom where Israel would be restored. A kingdom, by the way, of peace. They were longing for peace, but not the peace that Rome gives. You see, Rome, they had the Roman peace, Pax Romana, but that kind of peace was like, we'll kill you if you don't follow with us, right? Their kind of peace was the absence of war that came from a really heavy hand. That's not the kind of peace that they were waiting for. What they were waiting for is a Hebrew word, shalom. Shalom, it does not just mean the absence of war. This is a kind of peace that means wholeness and completeness and harmony and abundance and life. This is what the peace of of God is and this is what they were longing for. A kingdom where God would come to dwell with his people once more and to dwell with them forever. So the angel of the Lord here is essentially telling these guys, "Hey, hey, you shepherds, this is it. This is it. This is happening right now. The king that you have been waiting for has been born. This is happening. Well, needless to say, the shepherds are pretty pumped about this. So let's read what happens to them. Let's see how they respond. Verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen it was just as the angel had told them. I love how quickly the shepherds get on this, right? In Greek it says, "Let's go now." Let's go to now to Bethlehem. Then it says they hurried to the village. They're not messing around, right? They, they get to Bethlehem, they do a quick search of the town. It was not a very big village, so it probably would not have taken that long to find a baby in a manger. This would have been a pretty unique thing. They finally find Jesus, and, and they have got to tell everybody what happened. But now that I realize how steep the hills in Bethlehem were, I imagine them getting there completely winded and out of breath, right? You can imagine the shepherds. They're like, oh, we found you. It was an angel, and he said, okay. You know, like, I just imagine this whole scene. They're all like, what? What is it? What is it? They finally spit it out. And then it says this, that everyone who heard what they had to say was astonished. They were astonished at what they had to say. And I find this so cool. Because you know what this means? Here's, here's what this means. Back in, in verse 10, the angel declared that, that this was good news, right? The gospel. This was the gospel that the Savior of the world had been born. That the kingdom had been restored. So when these shepherds are sharing this good news with other people, whether they're out of breath or not, when they're sharing this good news, they're technically the first evangelists. They are the first people to share the gospel. Think about that. Think about that. These smelly, probably sweaty, dirty, impoverished shepherds, these down-and-out nobodies became the first heralds of the king the bearers of good news these nobodies nobodies they had been giving, given leading roles in seeing the promises of God come true and this this right here this is what makes this story so crazy to me it's what's so crazy because think about it, this is the most important news that has ever been shared this is the most important news this the world is about to change forever right and the angels are going to declare this to some humans and they pick some no-name shepherds what why? why 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 didn't the angels go to somebody more important why didn't they go to the the aristocracy in Jerusalem or or you know Luke a couple verses before this today's passage he talks about Quirinius the the governor of Syria he talked he mentions the Roman emperor Augustus Why didn't the angels go to them? They had way more power. Augustus was basically the king of the world at the time. So why would the angels not go to them? Why would they give this epic news to people who are on the lowest rungs of society's ladder? Why would they do that? Well, that is an excellent question, and I'm really glad you asked, because I think that this is exactly the point of this story. I believe this is exactly what Luke is getting at. And I think this is what God was getting at. You see, God's up to something here. And Luke, the author of this story, he knows exactly what God is doing and he is tuned into it. From the very beginning of Luke's gospel, he sets up all of these, uh, these weird juxtapositions. It's what we've been talking about all month. Uh, he talks about a, pro- a powerful prophet who's born to this elderly, childless couple, right? John the Baptist is born to them. Uh, He talks about the the long-awaited Messiah being born to some teenage peasant girl. He talks about a world where, where powerful men like Caesar Augustus and Quirinius and the other Gospels mention Herod ruling from golden palaces. Meanwhile, the king of all humanity is laid in an animal's food trough. That's a juxtaposition. And then, of course, as we just saw, there's the juxtaposition of the announcement of the inauguration of this new kingdom, the end of Israel's spiritual exile, and the final return of God's presence to his people being given to a band of dirty, impoverished shepherds. Do you see the pattern? Do you see what's happening here? This, this pattern that goes on and on and on. All of these huge, huge, royal, historic, powerful, epic, world-changing things are all happening. Right? They're, they're happening. They're, things that are going to change the fabric of reality itself. But they are all happening to nobodies. These things are happening to people who don't matter at all in the eyes of the world why why well i'll tell you because the kingdom of god this new kingdom it's upside down the kingdom of god is upside down this story is just the first of many stories in the new testament that show that in christ's kingdom the last and the lost and the least are the ones who are given prestige and honor. In God's kingdom, the poor find justice and hope. The sick find healing. Orphans find families. On and on and on. In the kingdom of God, get this, humility is power. And the powerful are brought low. This is why our king comes as a baby in a manger. This is why angels went to shepherds. Because this kingdom is upside down. It's topsy-turvy. Now, if you really stop and actually take some time to think about this, this is a scandalous idea. I mean, it was scandalous back then, but it is still scandalous. I know we talk about it a lot. It's familiar to us. And so it's easy to just not really think about how crazy this idea is. But it is. It's scandalous. Because, yeah, back then they lived in a culture where wealth and status and success were were really important right? That was what defined your value. Is our culture any different at all, right? We live in a world where wealth and success and status are everything. If you don't have those those three things, you're nothing, right? That's what our world says. You don't matter if you don't have those things. That's our value system as a culture, and it is exactly the kind of value system that the kingdom of God upends, That the christmas story the birth of jesus calls into question these values of wealth and success and status they get turned on their head when this baby boy is born which is kind of ironic it's kind of ironic because what has christmas become in our culture it's become a season for us to flaunt these exact same values hasn't it It's a time when when wealth and success and status are just a part of our world. It's a season of excess. It's a season of prosperity flaunting. It's a season of even clenched jaw mandatory happiness, right? Being wealthy and successful and happy at Christmas time, we're almost not allowed to be anything but. It's better to give than receive. Yeah, but what if you just lost your job and you don't even have enough money to buy presents for your kids? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Sure, but what if you're grieving the loss of somebody that you love every single year at this time? May your days be merry and bright. Yeah, but if you're struggling with anxiety or depression, Or addiction? At at Christmas time, our our social media feeds, they're filled with, with happy, smiling people surrounded by friends and family and seemingly without a care in the world. And as you scroll through that, it can be really, really hard. It can be hard if you're lonely right now or if you're in chronic pain or if you hate your body, or if you're facing some kind of abuse or injustice in your life, it can be hard to see all of that, can't it? The expectation is always there that you're supposed to just cover it all over, cover over your brokenness, and just for a few weeks at least pretend that everything is just fine. It's a okay. We're happy. We're good. Wealth, success, status. If you don't have those things... Man, it sure can feel like Christmas is not for you. Like deep down, you're just some kind of fraud. Well, if that's how you feel this Christmas season, if the smile plastered on your face is a little less than authentic, I've got some news for you. I've got some good news for you. Jesus was not born to kings and queens his royal messengers were not trained in a palace. His entourage was not wealthy or successful or high status. This is what we look at when we see a nativity scene. We set it up in our houses every single year. This is the story of Christmas. Jesus came to nobody's. He came to give hope, but he came to give it to the hopeless. He came to bring joy but he brought joy to the downtrodden and he brought peace on earth yes but who did he bring it to look at verse 14 he brought it to those with whom god is pleased and who are those people who is god pleased with well listen to these words from the mouth of this baby himself when he grew up listen to what jesus said in matthew 5 he says god blesses those who are poor and recognize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs god blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted god blesses those who are humble for they they will inherit the whole earth god blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied Yes, the real Christmas story does bring tidings of comfort and joy, but it is not the comfort of sitting by a roaring fire with a cup of hot chocolate. It's the comfort of knowing that our Savior meets us right where we are, that our King became one of us. He became one of us, not to to cover over our pain, but to bear it with us, to heal us and, and to spread hope that He is making all things new that he is beginning a new kind of community, the church where all the old hateful divisions between people fall away. A place, a kingdom, a community where the pursuit of wealth and success and status are replaced by the pursuit of generosity, of humility, of self-giving love. That, that is the good news of Christmas. That is the reason why despite your circumstances christmas is for you. You're not a fraud. This is a season to celebrate, no matter what you're facing. Our king became one of us. He didn't expect us to become one of him. See what I mean? I want to show you I want to show you one final detail about this story that I find I find really important to remember. I think we forget this. Verse 20 says something really simple. It says the shepherds went back to their flocks. In other words, their earthly status did not change by this event, right? They didn't suddenly become elite royalty. No. No, they still had to sit up at night, shivering, keeping a lookout for wolves and sheep thieves, like they had not changed their circumstances, but but now something had changed because they were now messengers of light in a dark world. They They were witnesses to the glory of God. They could tell other people that hope was on the move. They were the first ones to taste the fact that this world was about to be transformed. Your circumstances may not change overnight, but this Christmas, I hope, I pray that you can share in the joy that these shepherds had. I hope you can know in your heart deep down that despite your circumstances there is hope. There is hope. Your king, your savior has been born. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us/hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. You'll also find service times and locations for all three of our Grace Church campuses. We would love for you to join us. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.